0: is airing on Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon, and I am here with your usual Tuesday morning episode, which consists of an author interview today with author Elizabeth Means, and we'll be talking about her debut novel, Hourglass. Then we will look at some of the great books coming out this week. But before I do any of that, can I just please take a moment to tell you all that sometimes technology is not my friend. I try very hard not to talk about non-book related things, especially on the Tuesday morning episodes, but today technology was just kicking my butt. And I started to wonder if I was actually going to be able to record this episode because the notes that I had made for it, which were supposed to be nicely synced in the cloud, were refusing to show up on my phone. And I am just not the most tech-savvy person. Fortunately, I did manage to sort it out, and so I am here, but if I seem a little bit more frazzled today, that's why. Anyway, let's dive right in. I have the usual housekeeping information, then I'm really excited for you to hear this interview with Elizabeth Means, and then I'm going to talk to you, of course, about great new books. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing you can email us that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the book bistro podcast this is shannon and today i am talking with author elizabeth means whose novel hourglass released in the U.S. on June 1st. Elizabeth, thank you so much for chatting with me today.
1: Thank you, Shannon. Hi, everybody.
0: So I like to start off by having authors give listeners a little bit of an introduction to the book that we're going to talk about.
1: Sure. Um, so my book, it could be classified as a science fiction. It's dystopian and somewhat speculative. And the concept is that we're living in a world now in the future where everybody knows exactly the precise minute that they're going to die. Technology has advanced so far that nobody dies of natural causes anymore, or nobody dies of disease anymore. They only die of natural causes. And this can be predicted when they when they're born um, for when exactly they're going to die. So a society built around that then creates a world where if everyone knows this, then there's almost like a caste system where, you know, if you're going to die young, then they're not, the society isn't going to invest in you to, you know, have a great education or other opportunities versus if you're going to live to be very old, the opportunities are much more accessible. Um, So I have three characters each within kind of a different bracket of, lifespan and they come together to figure out why the youngest character is when she's supposed to die at 16 she doesn't and it's um it's kind of a suspenseful um mystery of what's going on and how they figure it out and um, with some some deadly consequences
0: (laughs) so i really really enjoyed um reading this to prepare for the interview and i think i thought the way that you talked about the technology and the way that this society sort of structured itself around this information that, you know, people in our world just don't have was super, super fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of inspired this, like what made you decide that this was the book that you were going to write?
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, So I started writing this book about nine years ago. And I think I came up with the idea even a couple years before that. And it came to me in a dream. (laughs) Um, Just the concept that lifespan was predictable in that way. And what would that look like? And how would society be built around that? And when I first started writing the story, I actually just wrote thinking that I would craft the story from the perspective of Lucy alone, um, the youngest character who doesn't die um, at her supposed time. And it was more of a romance between her and her boyfriend, Colton, who, you know, he has also a very short lifespan and he dies before um, she's supposed to. And I decided that that wasn't compelling enough. And I needed to fast forward in the future to when she actually comes to the point where she's she doesn't die and, and what other characters might need to be involved to, to figure out, you know, why she, she didn't at her specific time. So that's kind of where it started for me.
0: There's something really, really excellent. I think about speculative fiction and just the way that in a genre like this, you can craft and explore like all sorts of ideas that you couldn't really dig into like if you were just say writing you know a mystery or a romance novel there's just so much that you can do with speculative work and it's one of the things that I have to be like really really invested in sort of that whole the whole way that the story is crafted and all the ideas like you know what if this happened How would our lives be different than they are now? And I feel like you can just get so sucked into that and almost put yourself in that position. Mm -hmm. Like what if everyone did know when they would die?
1: Yeah. And And how would that be? Yeah. And that's how I thought it through. I was like, how would this change society? And if you knew that, I mean, it really, I think would limit opportunities for certain people because why invest in, you know, finite resources in a person who is just going to die when they're 25. I mean, think about how long it takes to become, say, like a a doctor, you know, you have to go through 10 years of schooling plus residency, and, you know, all of these, these different pieces on top of your regular high school education, and you're not ready to, you know, contribute to the world until you're in your mid thirties. Imagine if you were going to die before that. I mean, it's like you, you've wasted your time. And so, so looking at it like that, it, it, it allowed me to craft this world where it was like, I feel like this is how it really could happen. um, If, if this was the case, this one little piece of information.
0: (laughs) Yes. If technology could actually do that and it's, you know, technology is such an ever changing landscape that you know right now that can't happen but who is to say that you know in a number of years like it, it couldn't
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that kind of lends like an element of possibility to it where you're not just reading it going like oh you know this is this is impossible like that couldn't really happen
1: <laughs> right. I feel like with technology it just it could yeah yeah um and I mean there 's obviously a twist in it because it 's dystopian that 's how it sure. works <laughs> um but you know the the general idea is that in the future things are going to be different, and I was trying to think about what are the problems that might face us as a as a world as we Um, you know, progress in time and thinking about populations going, elevating and resources like water and um, places to grow food that becomes scarce. And so there's a lot of value then in certain things and, and, and having, um, you know, defining who gets their share of what it's, I thought it was an interesting way to think about things.
0: So when you were sitting down to actually craft this and you realized that like, as simply you know a romance novel it wasn't going to be as compelling a story as you thought you needed to tell did you sort of keep writing and like watch things unfold or did you take a step back and actually like sit down and and plot out what
1: you wanted to happen ah so a plotter or a pantser (laughs) yes (laughs) um I've thought about this and I think I'm somewhere in between where I I plot out maybe a couple sentences for each chapter just to have kind of essentially what happens and and then when I start writing it, I allow things to happen and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to keep that. And yeah, that is how this character would would respond to this and kind of discover the characters as I go, but around some loose parameters. I had an idea of where I wanted to go, but I didn't have all the details worked out ahead of time. I really had to kind of, I was maybe only five chapters ahead of where I was okay. writing at any point in time. so. That's, yeah, it took me a while to kind of figure out where, how does this really fit together?
0: So is writing something that you pretty much have always known that you wanted to do, or did it just sort of happen where you had an idea that, you know, you wanted to write a book?
1: Oh, I've always wanted to be a writer. I, I think that was the profession I said I wanted to, to go into when I was in second grade. And ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want to be a writer. And I, I was just talking about, What's, who's the youngest person to ever publish a book? That's going to be me. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> obviously it wasn't. Um, but I was very excited to do that when I was young because I was a really avid reader. I still am. And I just thought, you know, I could come up with some cool stories and I could write this. And, I started writing some stories with uh, my friend Julia, and we wrote this series called the runaways <laughs> and mostly it was us writing a little bit of a chapter, and then we'd act it out because you know we were seven and nine years old ah, yes <laughs> and that was really, really fun, and we also pretended to be Harriet the Spy because that was that was our favorite book slash Nickelodeon. Uh, movie the time. Harriet the spy <laughs> yeah so i I really wanted to to pursue that, and then you know as I went along in school, um, I was still I, I, I worked on my writing skills. I was always in kind of the advanced literature classes or writing classes and whatnot, but, you know, I always felt like I had to choose something practical, I guess. Ah, yes. so, so I, and my parents are, you know, they, they were pushing me towards a, a STEM career as well. My mom is an engineer. Um, and so I, I went into STEM and so I, I am a scientist, um, and that's my current job. I'm a laboratory manager, um, in a hospital and, uh, yeah, I just writing with something I decided, you know, it's something I, I should pick back up again. And I did notice that my writing got better as I went along. And when I started a second version of it, the story and started over from, you know, a different point of view on this, it, it got a lot better. So it takes practice. And yeah, I would say so.
0: I mean, I feel like, you know, people have this idea, I think that you can just like sit down and hammer it out And it's like, fantastic from, you know, the the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, probably that's not how it works.
1: Yeah. Those sentences, they sometimes they flow easily and sometimes you're writing them down. You're like, this is total garbage, but I'm going to go fix it later. And that was part of my challenge too, is I'm somewhat of a perfectionist with things and I would write a chapter and then I go back and polish it. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. That is slowing me down. I have to just write the thing. (laughs) And that, that seemed to help me.
0: (laughs) So how have you kind of fit writing into a life that, you know, I'm guessing is already kind of full with, you know, with a full-time job in, in the STEM field?
1: Um, well, so I, I mean, it took me a long time to write Hourglass um, and I think I worked on it pretty consistently for a few years, but I would really only write like, I don't know, 500 words or 1,500 words at a time, a couple times a week. Um, but I did get into a, a bit of a habit, which I think that's habits are important for writing. Um, it's it's harder to pick it up and put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I kind of push myself to be more consistent, it, it, the words flowed better and things were were more um, consistent. And I would remember where I left off. But um, what I what I normally would do um, before the pandemic, um, a writer friend and I, uh, she's writing her own story, but we would meet um, at a bar and we would write at the bar (laughs) one day a week. And then after we took we met in ballet class and we would go after ballet class to the bar to have breakfast on another day and we would write. So (laughs) okay, (laughs) that was our little tradition. And um, when things kind of calm down, we'll probably go back to that. But um, Yeah, that, that was, I mean, I wrote majority of hourglass in a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, people, people
0: talk about all the places that they like to read all the places they like to write. So, you know, I think wherever you got the like inspiration and the ability to like sit down and let the words flow. I think that's a, it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've had to adapt a little since the pandemic. And I've been more productive, of course, doing it at home rather than at a bar, because um, I've already finished a first draft of a second book. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> it took me way less time this time.
0: So you, um, as you're drafting a second novel, is this sort of related to the world of Hourglass, or are you moving in a totally different direction?
1: Well, um, so I'm an independently published author, and Hourglass, I really wanted to be traditionally published. And so I wrote it in such a way that it could be both standalone or potentially expanded into a series. Um, And at the time that I chose to switch and and write a second book, um, when I finished Hourglass, is I was trying to get a, a literary agent for Hourglass, and I wasn't successful. I tried for about a year. And during that time, the advice from everyone is just keep writing. Well, so I was like, well, I don't, I don't know if someone's going to pick this up. And so I don't want to waste my time. So I decided to write a totally different story just to have something else to write. Um, and now that I've decided to go in the direction of indie publishing, I will probably revisit Hourglass and I'm considering making it into a series. Um, and cause that seems to be a good strategy for, for indie authors. And, um, but yeah, my, my second book is, is totally different, but it's in the same, um, sort of vein of speculative fiction and dystopian in a sense. Um, it's more, uh, it's more, it it has a less of the government conspiracy, um, Ah, idea behind it. (laughs) Um, but I'm still adding some element of conspiracy to it because I feel like that's, I want that to be, you know, my writing voice so yes um yeah and that one I think I will be able to publish around maybe early fall um at the rate I'm going so yeah that one's called Glacier Haven is the working title so coming soon (laughs) that is a good title glaciers are just one of those kind of
0: like eerie mysterious like monoliths in the world so I, I like the idea of it being titled that way
1: yeah. Well, so um the the idea for this particular story is that there are the snow has and the ice has all melted in the world. And so there's been some, some global warming implication going on. Um, and so now seeing snow is, has become a tourist attraction. And so oh. these people go to this underground man-made glacier, which it's not actually a glacier cause it's man-made, but they're calling right. it a glacier. And, um, the story ends up being a bit of a survival story cause they get trapped inside the glacier for a long weekend. <laughs> Okay, so that is the
0: yes, I, I will definitely um, be keeping an eye out for this. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit kind of about your experience as an independently published author and just like things that you found worked for you that way or things that perhaps you learned along the way that you think would be good for other people to know?
1: Sure. Um, it's definitely been a journey. I've uh, learned a lot in the last few months when I decided to kind of make this this switch to pursue this on my own. And I'm trying to do it the quote right way, um, which I guess there's probably no specifically right way to do things. But what I found out is that the people who are most successful have a writer website. They have a newsletter um, so that they can uh, you know get readers and super fans uh, so that when they have new releases, they can um, you know, alert their fan base and interact with fans and grow those relationships. Um, they have some sort of hook at the end of their story, uh, a reader magnet, if you will, where the reader can then download um, an extra chapter or a free book or something. And that ah. kind of funnels them into the newsletter. Um, then they also have, um, you know, you're, you're using Facebook ads or Amazon ads effectively, um, having Um, your own publishing company. So I started my publishing company as an LLC. It's called Monkey Tree Publishing, because I have a monkey tree in my backyard. So (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, just having I'm trying to set things up, build the foundation so that as I continue writing, I can have a spring point, a a starting place for the rest of my books and um, a place to to grow my audience.
0: So is it difficult not only to focus on like the writing side, but also sort of the business and marketing end as well?
1: Uh, It's definitely a different mind shift. Um, I, because I'm a scientist, I have a mind for details. So (laughs) um, I've actually had some fun with doing all these little pieces and putting them together and seeing the big picture. Um, I'm still a novice, so I'm, I'm not I would definitely not say I've been successful yet but I hope to get there um trying to learn everything I can um but definitely the there's a lot of lot of things to learn, especially in the marketing and, you know, how to, how to look at how to make your ads and the cost per click and all of those things. Oh. And so I read several books on them from other indie authors. I took an indie author course called self-publishing 101 by Mark Dawson. Um, and I thought that was great. It was a really great way to like put all those pieces together that i have been learning on my own. Um, and connecting with other authors. So I, I found a number of other authors that um, I've talked to online. Um, I did some feedback swapping with some of them. Um, I read other people's work and they gave me feedback on mine. Uh, I did. Um, I got feedback for my book cover on Facebook. And that was really helpful because the first cover that I made, which my husband spent a lot of time on, uh, didn't get great feedback. Uh, so he's still kind of Aww. mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> um but so I ended up getting a, um a professionally designed cover, and that got much better feedback. so um, you know, just listening to to people and taking advice and not thinking that you know everything seems to be the best way to go on this path
0: <laughs> so are, are there things that you would consider like clear advantages to indie publishing versus traditional?
1: I think I'm seeing that a lot of people on the forums that I have been reading, you know, they some of them have been traditionally published before and a lot of them say they prefer the indie publishing realm and it's because they get a lot more control of their books Mm -hmm. um, and they get higher royalties. Um, so if you publish through Amazon, you get a 70% royalty if you price between $2.99 and $9.99. Um, and if you go through a traditional publisher, the royalty is going to be much smaller and it might just be a lump sum. And even if the book does really well, depending on your contract, you may not see any of those that, that money yourself. Um, and if, if a book doesn't do well, it seems like the publishers, um, are, if they haven't decided to invest in the marketing you don't necessarily own it to be able to push it yourself Um, and if you wanted to get your manuscript back it seems like a very long process for a lot of authors and so it's like their manuscript is trapped at this publishing house Um, and that that's definitely a disadvantage if it's not doing well or you feel like you want to try marketing on your own so um, that those would be the I think pros of indie publishing because you can have full control over those pieces and The risk is, of course, that you won't succeed, but um, that's okay. Uh, I I like having this control and and learning, and I really like learning new things. So I think this is a good path for me.
0: That's awesome. I love that this has opened up as an opportunity for people for whom, you know, for whatever reason, like traditional publishing just didn't seem to be the best fit. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and I think there's a bit of a stigma too, and I, I have to admit I had this as well um, because when I was writing and trying to trying to get an agent, um, I was like, oh, I don't really want to do traditional publishing because that's not for real authors. But the more I looked at it, the more I was like, okay, well, that's stupid because <laughs> really, I mean, if you do it the right way, there there's no reason to think that your work is any less quality than a published author. I mean, I had two editors that went through my book, it got feedback from other people, it had advanced readers that pointed out errors or flaws or anything like that, that I was able to fix before I published. And I feel like you know other novels go through a similar process and so I'm trying to mimic what a traditional publisher might do and granted it's all in my hands. So if I don't get quality work from other people, if my writing's not good, that's on me. Um, but I, I think that there's, there's a stigma and a misunderstanding of what, it, what does it mean to be an indie publisher?
0: Yeah, I've seen people talk a lot about, like, the books that are indie published, you know, are often, like, poorly edited or, you know, just aren't well written. They're just things that people throw together. It seems to be a lot of what I see people saying, like, online, you know, oh, I'm so tired of all this stuff. And Kindle Unlimited, people are always saying
1: mm-hmm. that,
0: you know, is just, like, to their mind, you know, subpar. Yeah, and there's, and there's whereas, some of that, Sure, sure that's what I was going to say. Whereas I'm sure that that exists. I think it's it's a harsh judgment to sort of say everyone who does this, you know, does it this way and it's just no good.
1: Right. I mean, if you think about it this way, probably the majority of books you've read in your life were traditionally published and you didn't love all of them. You put some down. So not all of them are going to speak to you. And I mean, I guess it shouldn't matter what direction it comes in. If you love it, then great. It doesn't matter if it's independently published or not. (laughs) I would agree with that.
0: So a little earlier on, you talked about being an avid reader. And so one of my favorite things to ask authors is what you've read recently That you want the world to know about.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I am one of those awful people who has multiple books going at once.
0: (laughs) I cannot Um. read that way. My partner can like she'll read, you know, a few things to like at the same time. And I I can't, it like messes with my mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it just depends on what I'm reading. Like if I'm doing a nonfiction, then a lot of times I'll have a fiction counterpart. <laughs> um, so right now my nonfiction that I'm working on is called Pox Americana and it's by, or yeah, Pox Americana. It's by Elizabeth Fenn. And um, it is about the smallpox epidemic around the time of the Revolutionary War. Um, and it's pretty interesting. And it speaks to my scientist side. <laughs> so, a little
0: light pandemic <laughs> little, reading. Yes,
1: light pandemic <laughs> reading. Um, and then my my fiction read that I'm reading right now is by um, another author that I connected with on Facebook. Um, her name is uh, Bridget D. Portman. And the book is called The Twin Stars. Um, it's the first book in the Cosima saga. And it is a portal fantasy. It's a YA. And Ooh. um it has a very interesting main character who has some sort of mental health um issues that she's battling and um she kind of goes into this world that she created and um it's she's a very good writer and um it's been it's been a really good read. So um I would recommend that. I think it comes out in July. So this is I'm Ooh. reading her advanced copy.
0: Awesome. I love advanced copies. They like <laughs> make my life so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm always like reading something.
0: People are like, oh, when does it come out? I'm like, oh. In, in a while
1: <laughs> yeah not yet so what kind
0: of genres are you drawn to as as a reader do those sort of mirror like the things that you write or will you read in a, a wider variety than, than what you choose to write
1: I definitely read in a very wide variety. I have very eclectic taste. And <laughs> so it was it was kind of hard for me to identify exactly what genre I wanted to write in. Um, I really, I love the speculative fiction and the dystopian. I think it's my favorite, which is why I think that's why I chose this genre to write. Um, but I would also be interested in trying my hand at a horror novel. I like, um, yeah, I like scary books. I love Stephen King. Um, and uh, those those kind of books appeal to me. Um, I also like a good memoir. Um, I've read some good ones recently by uh, Lindy West and Samantha Irby. Um, oh, yes. So, like funnier books, you know, I, I kind of like that. Um, and, you know, I like a good nonfiction that that has an interesting draw, like either it's a um, an interesting side of history that i didn't know or you know something um like there's some science books out there there's one the demon in the freezer it's about smallpox and where it where it sits in different labs and in places around the world where it's not supposed to be and oh. um, it's just those kind of things are fascinating to me so um yes eclectic is the right right word for me
0: <laughs> that is a good word so can you let listeners know the best place to find you online these days
1: Sure. Um, so I have a few places. I have my author website, which is Elizabeth means writer.com and means is spelled just like the regular word means M E A N S very basic. (laughs) And you can also find me on Facebook as Elizabeth means author. Um, I have a Facebook page there and, um, my book is currently on Amazon. It's an ebook right now. The paperback is coming out soon. And, uh, It's um, findable in Kindle Unlimited as well. So if you have that subscription, uh, feel free to pick it up. And hopefully people enjoy it and um, give me a review. That would be wonderful. Um, Yes, reviews. Yes, that's very, very necessary reviews. And if you love it, um, read the bonus chapter at the end and join my newsletter. And um, I promise I won't send a ton of emails to you, but that way I can keep you informed on, you know, when I have new books out like Glacier Haven that I'm hoping to, to publish later this year
0: well this was really really awesome I love getting the perspective of people who aren't traditionally published because often those aren't the people that I get the chance to talk to so I'm really glad that I connected with you and that we were able to have this discussion
1: Well, thank you very much I really appreciate getting to talk to you and getting my name out there for your wonderful yes. podcast <laughs> thank you
0: okay So this is the last Tuesday in June, and it is a very big day here at Book Bistro. Now, I know we say this periodically, but there are just certain authors that almost all of us love, and so we just all kind of have a big party when one of these releases a book, and today is one of those days. So I have to start out. I'm going to be mentioning a few books that you've heard us talk about before. And I have to start out with a book that Natalia mentioned on our most anticipated releases of June episode, and this is When Stars Collide by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. It is finally here. It is the ninth book in her Chicago Stars series. If you love Susan Elizabeth Phillips, you have to check this one out. It features an opera singer, which I personally love, and there's just something so charming and nostalgic about Phillips' writing. Um, She always takes me back to those early days when I was first discovering romance novels when I was probably too young to be doing that. But, you know, that's what a lot of us did. So it cannot be an entirely bad thing. Natalia also mentioned To Sir With Love by Lauren Lane. This is kind of the 2021 take on You've Got Mail. And Sarah mentioned the new Emily Richards. And Emily Richards is another one that a lot of us love. I don't think she's quite as popular in the book bistro hierarchy as Susan Elizabeth Phillips, but she is someone that quite a few of us are pretty excited to read. So this is The House Guests by Emily Richards. Okay, so now I want to talk about some books that you haven't heard us talk about. I'm going to start out with some things that are either actual romances or women's fiction. Um, Those go so nicely together. So I want to start off with Lady Sunshine by Amy Mason Doan. And she has a few different books that have been on my radar for a while. Um, One I think is called The Summer List, and then she has another summer-themed title called Summer Hours and this is Lady Sunshine. It is set in California in the 1970s and it's a novel that explores family secrets which I really love because there are so many good books about family dynamics and the secrets that go into making families functional or dysfunctional. It is my catnip I am on hold for this at my public library, and I am number three on the list, so it will not be long. This is Lady Sunshine by Amy Mason Doan. Brendan Novak. Yes, yes, yes. This is When I Found You. It is her Silver Spring series, book eight, and my personal Brenda Novak favorites are her romantic suspense titles. Um, She has some really excellent standalones, but she also wrote the Stillwater trilogy back in the day. And those I think will always be my favorites. But if you're looking for a good romance with lots of heart and relatable characters, I highly recommend her. So this one is When I Found You, Silver Springs Book 8 by Brenda Novak. Adriana Herrera has a new book out this week. It is the first in a new series. This is Sembrano Studios, book one. And it is about a woman who might inherit an empire if she can resist the advances of her ex-husband. This is one week to claim it all. Sembrano Studios Book One by Adriana Herrera, I will definitely be checking this out because her American Dreamer series is so, so excellent and remains one of my very favorite romance series. And for a little bit of historical romance set in one of my favorite time periods, let's talk about The Devil and the Heiress, Gilded Age, Heiresses Book Two by Harper St. George. Most people think of some of the Joanna Shoup books when they think of Gilded Age books. There's also the Gilded Age Girls Club series by Maya Rodale, but Harper St. George has also joined this club, and she has Gilded Age heiresses, and there's just something really magical for me about Gilded Age New York. Um, I think it just has so much of the, so much of the glitz and the glamour that we often see in like Regency era novels set in England, but with some kind of different dynamics um, in New York. And there's just something interesting to me about sort of America poised on the edge of that like 20th century. So this is the heiress, I'm sorry, the devil and the heiress. And it's Gilded Age, Heiresses, book two, by Harper St. George. Staying here with kind of genre fiction, I'm going to move on to some mysteries here and mention The Fiance by Kate White. Kate White is an author who I usually associate with kind of cozy mysteries. She writes um, the Bailey Wiggins series, which I think Brooke really enjoys, but she also has some really twisty standalones. And it took a while for me to give one of her standalones a try. I kept thinking that everything she wrote was a cozy, and I was just like, oh, no, I don't want to read that. Thank you, but no. And that was my mistake. So if you, like me, have never tried Kate White because you're not a big, cozy mystery person, definitely give her standalone novels a try. And this one might be a good place to start. It is The Fiancee. And again, it's by Kate White. Then we have Lisa Jackson. And she is writing this week, or not writing this week, but she's releasing this week, The Third Grave. This is the fourth book in kind of an older series of hers. This is Pierce Reed and Nikki Gillette. Um, This started out with The Night Before... And then was followed up by The Morning After, which were some of my very first Lisa Jackson when I started reading her back in the very early 2000s. So she continues here with these characters. And I am very excited because Lisa Jackson can write some really, really sexy but scary mysteries. So this is The Third Grave, Pierce Reed and Nikki Gillette, Book Four by Lisa Jackson. And if you're looking for a mystery slash thriller with a little bit of a horror theme, you might want to check out Survive the Night by Riley Sager. Riley was on the podcast a couple of years ago when he wrote Lock Every Door and really talked a lot about his blend of thriller and horror. So, if you want to hear more about that, definitely go back into the podcast archives and find that interview. But this is more of the same, like a thriller concept with a supernatural twist. It is Survive the Night, and it's by Riley Sager. And let's talk about some historical novels because I love those so much. So, The Shut-Away Sisters. This is by Suzanne Goldring. It is set during 1915, at least part of it is, and we learn about two sisters. But later on, we also learn about a woman who is uncovering the secrets of one of her aunts, who has left her a house. And apparently this aunt is one of the sisters that we learn out, learn about in the 1915 portion of the book. So it looks like it's going to be dual timeline. I love that it is going back a little further than World War II for the historical bit. I think we have a lot of great books about World War II, but if you're looking for information or just a, a book set in World War One time, Um, This one might be a good bet for you. It is The Shuddaway Sisters by Suzanne Goldring. The Personal Librarian is out this week. This is by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher. And this is one of those novels that really goes in depth into the women who kind of lurk in the shadows of history. Marie Benedict does this so well. Um, She wrote The Other Einstein, The Only Woman in the Room, um, The Mystery of Mrs. Christie, And so now she's teaming up with Victoria Christopher Murray to write this one. And this is The Personal Librarian. We then have The Vixen. This is by Francine Prose, who is an author that I've not read yet, although I think I really should because I know she's written some great stuff. So in The Vixen, we follow a man who works in the world of 1950s publishing, and he is tasked with editing the latest novel, kind of a bodish ripper novel. We all know how much I love those early bodice rippers. Um, That's not always a great thing to admit, but there you have it. Those are the books that I grew up on, and so they will always have a soft spot in my heart. But anyway, this one is based on The Trial of Ethel Rosenberg. So we're talking about the Red Scare here, and apparently this causes our protagonist some difficulty. I love books about publishing. I kind of love that, like peeling back the veil And giving readers a bit of an inside look into publishing. So, this is The Vixen, and it's by Francine Prose. If you read and loved The Royal Governess by Wendy Holden, then this next book might be right up your alley. This is In Royal Service to the Queen by Tessa Arlen. And this is a book that Kristen first brought to my attention when we were doing our episode on royals, because she thought that perhaps this was a book she could talk about, except it wasn't out yet, and so she couldn't. But it is finally here. It is along the same lines of the royal governess in terms of what it covers. And so it is the story of the governess of Queen Elizabeth II. This is in royal service to the Queen, and it is by Tessa Arlen. If you love pandemic books, post-apocalyptic books, then this next book is one for you. This is Bedlam. It's World Fallen, book three, by Susanna Strom. The first book in this series, if you've not read it, is called Pandemonium. It is about a pandemic that breaks out and, of course, causes the world as we know it to end. These types of books were really, really a big part of my reading last year. And even now I find myself coming back to them again and again. I I cannot really say why. Um, Stacy, Sarah, and I did an episode um, a couple of months ago where we talked about post-apocalyptic books and why we read so many of them. But this one looks like it's the last in a series. And this is a an author that is pretty new to me. Stacy brought her to my attention a couple of weeks ago. So this one is Bedlam, World Fallen, book three by Susanna Strom. And if you've not read the other two, go back and pick up Pandemonium followed by Maelstrom. Okay, how about some fantasy, right? We all need some fantasy. I'm going to start out with Cast in Conflict chronicles of elantra and this is a long-running series this is book number 16 by michelle sagara this is a series that i have not read natalia has read i don't know if she's read all of them but she's read some of them and speaks very very highly of this author so this is one that i plan to check out and if you've not read this series yet, I'm guessing that this particular release won't be of much interest to you, but you will want to go back and, and check them out. So this one, again, for those who are already fans of the series, Cast in Conflict, Chronicles of Elantra, book number 16, by Michelle Sagara and we have the 16th book in another series and i'm so excited to talk about it haha <laughs> so witching fire the wild hunt book number 16 by my favorite Yasmin Gallinorn, um, Stacy was commenting that I didn't talk about this book um, in the June Picks episode that we did for our most anticipated June releases. And I said, you know, I love so many of her books that if I talked about them every time one came out, this is an author who would be in like every other Picks episode because she writes so many books a year. And I'm super excited about all of them. But I do try to tell you about them when they're releasing. So this one makes me kind of sad because it is the second to last book in the Wild Hunt series. I love these characters so much, especially Raven, who is the protagonist in this Uh, particular book. So The Wild Hunt is split up into The Wild Hunt, and then The Wild Hunt's The Anti-Fay Adventures. And this one is an anti-fay adventure, which means it's a raven book. This is Witching Fire, The Wild Hunt, book number 16 by Yasmin Gallinorn. Go back to the beginning and read The Silver Stag if you haven't already, because this is a phenomenal urban fantasy series. And for some young adult fantasy here, We have a new book by Kira Cass, and she is best known for her Selection series, which really blew me away several years ago. Um, It's a book that I think back on and kind of think about rereading, especially that first book. But this one is the second book in a new series. Last year, The Betrothed came out. And so this one is The Betrayed. It is, of course, the follow-up to 2020's The Betrothed by Kira Cass. And I am wrapping up today with one more young adult novel. This is The Girl Least Likely by Katie Lautzenheiser. And this is an author that I was first aware of in either late 2019 or early 2020 when she released If You're Out There. So this is a young adult coming of age story about a teenage girl who wants to be a stand-up comic. And as she's learning, you know, all the stuff that comedians need to know, she kind of begins to lose herself and realizes that this perhaps might not be what she wants to do. So we watch her kind of come to terms with who she is as a person and become the comedian that she wants to be while still honoring herself. This looks really, really good, especially if coming-of-age novels are your jam. So this is The Girl Least Likely, and it is by Katie Lautenheiser. And that is all I have for you today. This is a phenomenal release day, and I'm so excited to start reading some of these books. I hope all of you are doing well. If you're in the Pacific Midwest, or Pacific Northwest, I mean, where you are being slammed with horrendous heat. Please stay as safe and as cool as you can.